have your Bibles with you, you're going to be finding uh, your spot in the Bible that's uh, named Jude. It comes right at the end of the end of the Bible, just before the book of Revelation. So if you flip back, you find Revelation, just go page by page back, because you could miss Jude, because it'd be all of a sudden into 3 John or 2 John. He's right in between 3 John and Revelation. And uh, there you'll find Jude. We've been in this letter now. This is our fifth Sunday of walking through the, the 25 verses of this letter. We actually have two to go. Uh, and this morning we're going to be looking specifically at verses 17 through 25. Uh, this letter, when we started this um, just over a month ago, I had mentioned that, that some see this as one of the most neglected letters in the New Testament. Maybe uh, you're just really, really familiar with Jude, but I, I've heard from various uh, people as we've walked through this that, that, oh, I just never really paid much attention to this little letter, and it's been, it's been good to be paying attention to it and, and trying to learn from it. Uh, there has been a bit of a strangeness to the letter that we had mentioned, and, and some of that we've kind of already walked through as Jude made some extra biblical references to some letters that are not necessarily within what we would call the, the 66 books of the Bible. Um, and, and so we've, we've went through that as well. Uh, today, um, we don't necessarily look at anything particularly strange or difficult to understand. But just because something is easy to understand doesn't mean it's easy to do. We're going to walk through 17 through 23 together. I'm just going to read through all of those verses at first and and then following that, we'll, we'll kind of go through the three sections that we see here this morning. The, the first section that we'll read through, and if you're somebody who takes some notes, you, you may title 17 through 19, verses 17 through 19, as Jude saying, remember what was taught. Remember, maybe just remember. Then we'll look at verses 20 and 21. Uh, where uh, some have titled this one, uh, not original, but positive, positive exhortations. Exhortations being they're encouraging actions that Jude is encouraging the church to take. And then we'll finish up looking at verses 22 and 23, uh, which you might title, How to Respond. How to Respond. So remember, positive exhortations, encouraging actions to take, and then how to respond. Well, let's read through all of these verses together at first. We pick up again at verse 17, where already we recognize a change in the letter because Jude says, but you. Again, we had been talking about those in the past or those that had crept in. Uh, but now he says, but you. But you must remember. So verse 17, but you must remember the love, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, 
keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Father, again, we are grateful for who you are. We ask that your spirit would continue to lead us to see the truth from your word. And Lord, help us to continue to trust your initial goodness see it above as well. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. It's good to see Jude. He goes right back into that beloved. But you must remember, beloved. You are objects of God's love. But he's also saying, you must remember how much of life in Christ is actually us remembering things that God has said is true about Him and about us. Because we say it often because it's so often found within Scripture that we can be a people that can be quick to kind of forget. So again, Jude is patient. But you must remember the predictions. Remember, this letter from Jude is being sent in the first century. So... So the predictions of the apostles aren't something that was just true 2,000 years ago as we stand here. It was actually the, the predictions they were hearing even at that time and then even in the first century. 
history had begun to forget. Paul himself in, in, in Acts chapter 20 says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So, so when we're talking about this remember, that was, a, that was a message that was regularly communicated to this first century church. But you know, Jesus was saying the same thing when he was uh, on the earth, right? Matthew chapter 7, he says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Right? So this remembering is, is, is again, Jesus had taught the disciples to be aware of, of what could take place. And the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ also, uh, also made these predictions. Remembering history is one of God's best remedies in awakening His church to the task of contending for the faith. That's good. I think within that lies hope for us. Remembering history is one of God's best remedies in awakening His church to the task of, of, of contending for the faith. Now these opponents, right, that they're being asked to remember, right, their presence, these who have crept in, did not constitute a surprise. That was a surprise to them, but then they remembered what had been taught. It wasn't a surprise to them ultimately. It wasn't a threat to the faith once for all handed down to the saints, but it was a threat for them particularly because it could have robbed them of their joy. It could rob them of their progress. It could rob them of their purpose of why they had existed to lead all people, as we say here, to life and growth in Jesus Christ. And he says, they said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. Desires for ungodly actions. Well, I asked the question as I was walking through this. Does having ungodly desires, because if these who crept in were scoffers following their own ungodly passions, does having ungodly desires mean I am potentially one of these intruders? Well, no, not necessarily. But followers of Jesus know that there is a battle within. Bruce led us in the Lord's Prayer, which talks about, lead us not into temptation. So Jesus is already preparing us to recognize that temptations, the temptation to even follow after ungodly desires, can and will be there. But as followers of Jesus, our lives for Jesus are to increasingly resemble His. Yet we know we still at times will fall to temptation. And need to acknowledge that and confess it and believe that it is forgiven in light of what Christ accomplished through His death and resurrection. If you or I are potentially judged by someone on one day, there might come the wrong 
conclusion that we are not followers of Jesus. In fact, some patterns of sin embraced for years in unbelief may take a lifetime to overcome. But, within the follower of Jesus, there is the desire to overcome this. Why? Because Christians have something or someone who not yet believers do not have. Who did these intruders lack? says that, as we turn to 19, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. They're devoid of the Spirit. When you're devoid of the Spirit, unity is not something you seek. Division is actually potentially something one seeks. Worldly people, they're follow mere natural instincts like we covered earlier in the letter. There's no spirit. Paul talks about that in Romans 8. In Romans 8, verse 9, he says, You, however, he's talking to the church, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong. Spirit have caused divisions because they did not belong to God at all. Because they lacked the Holy Spirit. And then we move to verses 20 and 21. But you, but you, beloved, building up, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, in these two verses, the actual imperative, the most important verb, is actually keep yourselves in the love of God. That's in verse 21. The other three that we're going to look at are actually participles. They, they keep showing us how we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. But that central command is keep yourselves in the love of God. Those who trust in Christ remain in the faith because of the persevering work of God the Father. Jude here, it says, one person said, Jude represented well the biblical tension between divine sovereignty, because if you remember the beginning of the letter, of the letter, Jude says, you're called, beloved by God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So he represents well this tension between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. It's, it's Judas calling them, and by extension us, to keep yourselves in the love of God. Grace doesn't nullify the energy that we should have towards keeping ourselves in the love of God. Think about Jesus' words in John 14, this idea of kept. Right? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, won't receive, will not receive, doesn't want to receive in unbelief. 
because it neither sees him nor knows they neither see him nor know him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So keep yourselves in the love of God. Again, this kind of section of 20 and 21, I, I mentioned positive, positive exhortations or an encouraging actions to take. One person said, Jude recognized, Jude recognized that his readers would not continue to be devoted to the faith if they concentrated only on resisting the opponents, as important as it was. You know, like sometimes we're better known for what we're against than what we're for. You ever been around somebody kind of like that, right? I can be that person. You can know the things I'm against, or, or I can try to spot theological error all over the place. But the reality is that Jude knows that he, they need to be reminded, just don't be about what you're against. Be about what you should be for. Because that's the direction the Spirit leads. And he says, building, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Describing how to keep ourselves in the love of God. Build yourselves up. The metaphor of building something on a foundation. Peter, in his first letter, said, As you come to him, thinking about the idea of building, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Building yourselves up. Faith is more than just conversion here again. And the most holy faith, it's life in Christ. Life in Christ just isn't go with the flow here and there, little of this, little of that. But it's more like a blueprint of understanding why I say yes to what I say yes to, or why we as a family or as a church family say yes to what we say yes to with purpose. Within the ordinary, everyday stuff of life. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Paul said in Ephesians 6, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. And he says, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Every believer truly born again has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. Pray in the Spirit. We, we This month we focus on prayer. Prayer is a part of our morning. It's not just something we do because, oh, now the prayer time, the prayer time comes. Oh, now that's the prayer time. Now this is the preaching time. What we, we pray without ceasing as the people of God. Believers cannot keep themselves in God's love without depending on Him by petitioning Him in prayer. It's not always easy. And sometimes that's a spot we kind of have to say, mm. especially in a culture that's very busy. Sometimes too busy for the thing that's most important that Jude is saying. 
pray in the Holy Spirit. Praying. It's ongoing prayer. Jesus says, waiting. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? You're going. You're praying. And he says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Uh, this idea of waiting. Uh, think about if you're familiar with Jesus' birth and those birth accounts. You remember Simeon and Anna at the temple when they saw Jesus as Jesus was being presented, right? They both were waiting, the Bible says. And, and in Luke 2, concerning Anna, it says, And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Jesus, the promise made, the, the promise kept. They were waiting for the redemption to be fulfilled. And now we, in this part of God's big story of redemption, we wait as well, but not for His first advent, which we often celebrate during the Christmas season, the advent season. We wait for His second advent, His return. Jude says, remember this. When it said, those who take their eyes off their future hope will find that their love for God is slowly evaporating and it will be evident that their real love is for this present world even more. I was having a conversation with Rick Craven not too long ago about this. And, and, and him and I actually share this common kind of struggle here. We know, we hear Jude saying, we know the Scriptures are talking about this idea of waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. But we know that this, this eternal life means that when Jesus returns, then comes the judgment. And, and, and he and I both share this, this kind of tension between we do want the Lord Jesus to return, but we know in biological family, friends, neighbors, friends. We know people who are not ready, who have not trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And we're like, we're like in this tension where we, we, want, we want Jesus to return, but we also want to see more people come to faith in Him. That's what we want. Now, why mercy, right? Because waiting for the mercy. Jude could have used a number of different words. He could have said waiting for the grace, waiting for the love, right? But he chooses to use mercy, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Ultimately, we, we, we don't know, but maybe a reminder that there is not perfection on this side. There is not perfection. I mean, this church would have understood that, right? Because they had forgotten and allowed people to creep in and actually begin causing divisions and maybe even have roles of leadership within this particular church family. So, so they would have at least initially felt like they had failed. You know what that's like to feel like you're failing? And so God in His mercy is wanting really quick to remind them, I'm merciful. I am merciful. And I'm quick to forgive. Waiting for the mercy. 
maybe this is also getting them ready for this next section, verses 22 and 23, as we go to those now. Remembering this title of 22 and 23 is how to respond. Someone even said how the readers, how the readers should treat or respond to these people impacted by the false teachers, or maybe even the false teachers themselves. So we're going to read this. But think, this may have been Jude's reminder to them how to respond to those who had been influenced by the false teachers, or even possibly to the false teachers themselves. Verse 22, And have or show mercy on those who doubt or those who are wavering. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To show mercy with fear. To others show mercy with fear. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This could have been also a a need for them to not overcompensate, right? Because they had let they had let false teachers creep in, so now to, to overcompensate would have been this like over-the-top fundamentalism looking for more intruders all over the place. Where somebody falling to a temptation would immediately be like, doo-doo-doo, is that an intruder? Imagine what that would have felt like to have been kind of like under the eyes of a bunch of people just looking for you to do something wrong potentially. That's why I think Jesus says, have mercy, show mercy to those who doubt because there were those impacted by the false teachers within this particular group in verse 23. And he said, it's tempting to dismiss. It's tempting to dismiss those struggling with doubt to lose patience with them and move on to something else. Jude encouraged those who were strong to show mercy and kindness to those wavering with doubts, to reclaim them with gentleness. I think Paul said as well in 2 Timothy 2, he said, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. I think about our current situation, our within this pandemic has been hard. For some, it has been a jarring reminder of their need to be more aware of God. For sure, crisis can lead to this. But for some, this jarring also may lead them to doubts or wavering. Why would a loving God Is space that you and I have safe for people to share those doubts? Our family isn't as much having a lot of those conversations with regards to COVID as it has been a struggle for many years with food issues that are a part of our family life and the challenge of how to figure out how to feel normal and if that's even possible for some of them. 
And there have been times when I was thinking about that this week in relationship to have mercy on those who are wavering and doubting. And I think, you know, for them who are walking through this season like, like that, and they're just wondering, why, why am I walking through this? Why is this still happening to me that God is okay with the why questions? But to my shame, I haven't always been. And sometimes I have been, I have been quick my responses. But God is slow in His patience and His love. And He is big enough. He is big enough for your life. He is big enough for your wavering. And we're glad that you're blessed to be a people who are the Lord's to show others who He is Lord. How the reader should treat or respond to those impacted by false teachers is Remember the author's story, Jude, right? He was raised with Jesus. And he just lived in unbelief. And even at times, called Jesus crazy. Off his mind. But he knows the posture of believing he was 100% wrong. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Some may have even gone a little further than doubt and may have actually begun to adopt some of the lifestyle situations or the behaviors that should not have been. Fire is the image of judgment. But here there's still the opportunity for salvation, snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Jude seems to be referencing what's happening in Zechariah chapter 3 as well. In Zechariah, it says, Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you. others show mercy with fear. These may have even been the false teachers themselves. Can we be involved in not yet believers' lives and not engage in the sinful activity? Absolutely. Questions like, how does Christ relate to difference between affirming someone's behavior and accepting the person as a person, yes. But there still is a difference. 
Peter said, notice that Jude made three distinctions on how to be merciful, which tells us that every believer or unbeliever might not need the same method, even though they all need the same mercy. Same mercy. The opposite of mercy, apathy, meaningless, indifferent, harshness, merciless. It's hard to show compassion and mercy to those who are hurt. Jude reminded them that they are one loved by God, as we just read. In 17, he reminded them that you are beloved. They're beloved not for what they do, but they are beloved for who they are as his family purchased by the blood. loved by God for a purpose. Remember he says, keep keeping in the love of God. They're loved by God for a purpose. Keeping, building, praying, waiting. Our last two years have been an effort to more clearly communicate and encourage our church into rhythms that one could feel confident they are being about what Jude says to be about here. You're on your way out. One of the things we put together prior to COVID, now everything's been a little bit changed a, a little bit, but we put together one of these brochures that talked about the different spaces that we would encourage uh, believers within the life of First Baptist Church to be involved, to see those identities of up in and out, fleshed out, lived out. We're loved by God for a purpose. And third, we're loved by God to be marked by mercy. We're loved by God to be marked by mercy. I really think this is more of an attitude before it's an action. Because one could act merciful but not really mean it by their heart. But this is about an attitude. And, and because of the attitude, it follows the action. I do believe to be marked by mercy requires some proximity. It's going to require some relationship with those who still need God's grace. You're going to need to be able to understand and work through the difference between affirming and acceptance to understand about seeing people created in the image of God, those categories. It's going to require wisdom. Because it would not be difficult as has as did happen within the life of this particular group of people, that before long we begin to be, as uh, one might say, colonized by behaviors that God is not pleased with. We begin to look like the world. We're trying to be of the world. We need to be careful not to just be in the world, isolating ourselves from those who, who need Jesus, right? Sometimes people say the church exists for those who don't yet know it. Are we going to be free to see? Are we going to be free to focus on what we do? Are we going to be free of the people that we are around and say what we're not looking for? But we're looking for the same. Are we looking for the same? As the 
King comes back and we finish our mourning, singing, we crown him with many crowns. It's This week upcoming is significant in our nation in regards to the election. I think more than anything this week, looking at this text, thinking about where we live and move and show people who God is like, just thinking about this song again, that, 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 that we, as followers of His, we don't need to need to live in fear. We live in love knowing that the Lamb who is crowned and who, who actually wore a crown of thorns in our place dying upon the cross is now sitting on a throne. He's sitting on a throne. And so now we, we are waiting, waiting for His return. And, and we're not waiting being still. We're, we're waiting. We're resting in the finished work of Jesus. We are marked by love. We are keeping in the love of God. And He is showing others what He is like. So whether, whether one votes for one or the other or neither, wh- whatever way, this still must be true of us. recognize and see biblical principles and in some ways I've said this out loud before and I always say it around every election time I'm very grateful that God in his mercy permitted me to be a pretty obnoxious arrogant conservative before he rescued me and called me to make every other year and such a difference because then I look back and I try to see and think that was really ugly about my posture didn't mind back then because I was getting rid of the spirit Spirit of God. That changes my posture. And so as we sing this last song, let us know that Jesus reigns. And He's coming again. And that should fuel us and help us to know that, that we are the people that know what grace is because we did not deserve His love. And yet, God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For by grace ye have been saved through faith, not of ourselves. We would boast about it if it was about us. We love to boast about that sometimes, but it's not about us. together as a church locally in Berlin showing that he is and he is coming again he is returning he will leave this throne that he is on right now he is alive and on the throne right now we are singing to him with this song but he is returning may we 
lived with great intentionality and purpose in light of this incredibly grateful for who you are. Help us to Seeing your 